Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Savvy Business. Life Unscripted with your host, Christina Rivera, where our guests share their wisdom and valuable business tips, empowering our audience to expand their personal potential. Hi, Scott Bartnick. Welcome to Savvy Broadcasting, a life unscripted. I'm so grateful to have you here today. How are you? Good. And thanks for having me, Christina. You betcha. Uh, you are on our new series, or somewhat new, uh, Life After COVID series. We're talking about how to grow your business post-COVID. A lot of people are either leaving their corporate jobs or maybe got fired or looking to build a business. You've had great success, both as a uh, publicity agent in person, and but also growing e-commerce. So we're, we're grateful to have you here sharing your knowledge today. Before we get started, share how you got started in creating your own business. And because yeah, of course, I'd be happy to share. So my background, I'm actually an engineer. I worked for a Fortune 500 company uh, for several years, did operations management, and Loved the company. It was in a good scenario, but just didn't feel like the, the path was for me. I did a lot of interviews with higher up execs and kind of talked about their work-life balance and what they were doing and kind of even financial situations that they were in and um, how they were still very tied to the, the business. And I didn't like seeing um, these people in higher positions working very long hours and going to networking events and really making their life evolve around the company. And I, I thought that really wasn't for me. And if it was for me, it was going to be around my own company. So here I am at, at 7 p.m. doing a, a networking podcast, but I own the company. I own the business. I own yeah. all the value added. I own that equity. Uh, so it was just something that I, I realized that I wanted to have more ownership and control of my life, especially mm-hmm. uh, seeing downturn periods where companies have to let people go, even if they're very successful. Um, mm-hmm. When I first started off, I actually had my 401k cut and benefits cut just because of a downturn in the business. And I don't blame the business at all. They were doing what's right for them. But I, I realized that that was just something that I wanted to have control of. If, if there's a downturn, I wanted it because I was doing a bad job, not because someone else told me that, uh, that the business just couldn't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. And, and entrepreneurship or running your own business isn't for everyone. But what's great about it, and I've seen this happen from people who've been at businesses, one friend of mine at a business for 20 years, laid off, ah, and actually ended up getting started starting a soup company, believe it or not, because she was always making these soups that people loved. And when you're put, sometimes put against the wall, you come up with these ideas that, you know, you've been sitting on a cash pot without realizing it. And, and as you said, you'd rather build your own thing than, you know, work nine to five, which works for some people. But here, if you're working late, it's on you and it's your choice and you're making your own schedule. Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, it's just a different balance and everyone has the potential to be an entrepreneur, but there's definitely certain steps you have to go through and be willing to kind of go through failure a lot more in the uncertainty of that business lifestyle versus the nine to five, which is considered a safer route, which I'll argue, <laughs> but uh, most people wouldn't. I don't know if it's safe anymore. Maybe it was during our parents' age or my parents' age, uh, but things, yeah, things have changed a lot. Now, um, you know, one thing you, you mentioned the day-to-day worker or having a business, there's a different mindset with that. And I know when I first left 
the corporate world and was starting to do my own company, I brought that kind of worker being nine to five to my business. And I was like being stuck sometimes, not realizing this isn't a nine to five. You get to check out and go home. Share mm -hmm. your perspective on that. So that's a really good point. I think that there's different levels of entrepreneurship. So you have an employee who's someone who's working for a business and you have a business owner and that person owns the business and there's different stages in between. Um, my goal is always to be an owner, uh, but throughout the process, you end up being an employee of your own company. A lot of times, um, currently I'm an employee of my own company. I'm working very long hours. Uh, but the goal is at least to recognize that and find a way out of that. Uh, I think the value of being an entrepreneur is eventually being an owner. Um, and, and that means putting people in the place to do the job for you and mm -hmm. still being able to have that company grow and scale. And then you can just come in as an expert, um, almost think about it as being on the board of a, of a large corporation is you're not doing day to day. You're just coming in to vote on decisions. And that's kind of, I think what the goal should be for entrepreneurs is to be an owner and not an employee. Um, there've been times where I am an employer, an owner of my business. And there's times where I'm an employee and it just varies based on how quickly I'm trying to grow it, the scaling, who I have in place at the time. And so when you are growing, you're always going to have that fluctuation. And if you're trying to quickly grow your business, you're going to have to be an employee for a long yeah. time until you can really hire those right people. And honestly, hiring a CEO that can grow your company is pretty expensive. So you have to be able to afford that. They're, they're hard to find it. And if they can do it for the most part, they're going to do it themselves unless you can pay them and kind of teach them throughout the process. Well, let's talk about scalability. I've had a couple of people on that have been business owners. One gal built, uh, is now 10 years out and she's, really exploded the last five years but she said one of the things that was really hard for her to let go of was really that scalability and letting other people take care of her business because you're like i can do it all i know it is my baby i trust me i don't trust other people how do you begin to do that scalability and bring in the right people and people you can trust yeah so process is obviously number one and then hiring the right people so otter pr was founded only about eight months ago and we've gone from uh, zero to seven figures in the six month period, which is awesome. Um, but we could not have done that. I own it with another partner. So I own 50% of it. We couldn't have done that without hiring people. So we hired the right people, we trained them to do a job. And then we just never looked at that job again. And the only time we go in is if they're not doing their job correctly. And we go like, okay, we need to make these tweaks and things like that. But you have to have the process behind that to make it doable. So even now we have 30 employees, but if if the process starts to fall apart, so we do a lot of automation. So our automation um, integrations shut off for the last two weeks and the company just started raveling, not in a sense that we were losing customers or anything, but the stress load and you can feel it coming up is all those processes that we put in place are, are not running. So no, people aren't getting their notifications. People aren't seeing the right data. People don't know what customers are paid for. Uh, so it's really important to build that process that scales slowly. Um, and you're always going to be adapting and changing. We're actually in the process of, look changing to Salesforce, which is a more robust CRM. Um, so that'll be a big journey for us is to get it up to date because it's actually pretty expensive, but they're it's super powerful. So right now we're kind of piecemealing, we're using spreadsheets and things like that. So mm -hmm. when you want to scale, so we're doing close to 2 million at this point, we'll, we'll be our 12 month goal. Um, but I want to do, I want to do closer to 15 or 20 in the next year and a half, two years. And to do that, I need process that is extremely robust and doesn't revolve on anyone and really can't break down. It has to be notifications to the point where if I need someone to do it, they get a text message. Hey, you just had a new client. They need, you need to do X, Y, and Z. It needs yeah. to be done within the next 24 hours. And that's not me micromanaging. It's just, it needs to happen to make sure we have a clean onboarding. Um, and no single person is going to be remembered to do all of that. So you just put those 
systems into place and that allows you to go from one employee to 15 employees in a matter of months and then double that again and it's really just all system based and um works with any business it's just putting that right person there yeah, I love that you say that. Two really big things that popped out, or three. One being uh, that you have the systems in place, the automation, and then the right people. Yep. Yeah, one, two, three. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong, we trust our people very much, and they do way more than our systems tell them to do. You just need the, the bare minimums of the notifications. Even uh, a, a big jump for us was making sure our publicists knew exactly what was included in the package, which is something we just changed because mm – -hmm as a salesperson, we're always selling and kind of adjusting things and we were taking notes, but not clear enough. And so now as part of the automation, as soon as someone signs up, their publicist gets an email with like, it's like five pages long of a proposal, a copy of all the communications, like a detail yeah. of everything that they need to know. So it's almost as if they were in all those conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it really just helps smooth on that process. So there's no bump in the road because onboarding in any kind of service can be a big deal if you're not the one actually doing the service. Yeah, you are so right, Scott. Uh, I mean, there's several companies I work with now that were um, launch companies, and they had me come in to help them with their finance part. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, the one, one place, because they were so small, um, you know, before I came on board, they pretty much would just go out there with a piece of paper, sign, oh, you want this? I'll, I'll get this for you, and then just come back and maybe just plug it into a spreadsheet and be done with it. But it got to the point where they were doing a couple million, and things are on pieces of paper, maybe on yep. a spreadsheet if you're lucky. And no one knew what the other hand was doing and then it gets really messy so the first thing i did for the accounting portion is at least set up all these paperwork and processes of onboarding because like you go out there to meet a client you're going to have them sign a contract which we're going to actually have an actual contract that's going to yeah. be your template go out there have them sign that and then have a credit process or let's look at their credit because in this case they were doing quite a bit of uh heavy amount of uh, dollars with us and i think you know you've got to make sure that client can afford it before you just say hey we're going to give you this heavy contract and you can't afford 150 200 grand whatever it might be um but to have that in place and now share with me what it looked like for you, say you started to bring these onboarding and processes, did you get any resistance with some of the people you worked with or even the clients? Because I, I came across that sometimes. What was your- Yeah, of course. So more on the back end, a lot of the process that we do is, is back end changes more than front end changes. Usually if we're doing a front end change to a client, it's to improve the service to them. Um, we do raise our prices, but never to active clients. So if we had a client, we first started at $500 a month and we have two clients that have been with us since the day we started. They were our first sales and they know that our prices are not that anymore and they probably will never cancel because they're getting a great deal. Um, but the change in the back end, yeah, you're going to get resistance, especially on teams. If, even if they're full-time employees and very bought into the company, you, you're changing org structures. That was a big one for us where we originally, we had a team of 25 publicists all reporting to me <laughs> and it was terrible. So I was like, I come from a back, background corporate. So I was like, well, what am I doing wrong? I, I thought, okay, well we had org structures. And so I, I put down a team, I had a head of PR and then I had senior publicists and then I had four people on each team. Mm -hmm. And basically that fixed all of my issues, but then telling someone who's been with me and reporting directly to me for the entire time that they've been working with us, now they have to report to someone who is 24 uh, and they're in their fifties or older, mm -hmm. you get resistance to that. And you got to kind of, the art of communication becomes huge in transitioning those and kind of not forcing on people, but slowly just dragging them and showing them why that's actually a better process. They're going to get more team support, more communication, actually more access to me because now I have more access to help people when it's actually needed. 
Yeah. I think what the fear is, uh, you know, like the people who knew you from the beginning and working with you, they know your style. They understand you. You bring a new person in. Oh, are they going to make everything upside down, funky and make my life miserable? Yep. And to make them realize that, no, this person's brought on to make all of our lives a lot simpler, not to make it more stressful for you or me or everyone. And we're kind of unique in the way we hire is we're, we don't do huge vetting, which we probably start doing more vetting, but we actually are really quick to let people go. Um, and usually we're letting people go based on communication issues. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll quickly, if they're not supporting the team in a way that I think is a productive manner, uh, we'll make changes to just try to make the environment the best work environment possible. Because at the end of the day, your employees and your clients will be happy if everyone kind of is cohesive and, and not one team. Mm. No, that makes complete sense. Now for any, like your business owner, like my friend, and you're wondering what processes do I need to grow efficiently? Where would you suggest they start? I would, it depends on the business. You got to find where you're spending the most of your time. So 80, 20 rule, find out where you're spending a lot of time and offload that job first. So usually I try to find almost think of it as like an executive assistant is your first hire, but usually someone that has really good communication skills. Someone that's a good writer, someone that can handle email communication, someone that could be talking to clients, mm -hmm. um, but probably like fresh out of college, you don't have to pay that much. Uh, that way you can just kind of give them a whole task and teach them along the way and figure out what they're good at and then let them morph into their own job. Um, and that was pretty much our first hires. We, we knew we needed someone that could write well because uh, we had a lot of writing load and the rest of it was unknown. We didn't know if they were gonna handle clients, we didn't know how it was gonna happen. Um, but we just trained them and let it morph into its own position. And now she's actually, our first hire is now our VP of uh, PR communications. Um, she runs the whole team and it, it's awesome. She hopefully will never leave us because we can't afford to lose her. But you just, <laughs> you just find those people and you, you give them responsibility. And you, especially with a startup, you say, hey, we're a startup. We're scaling. The nice thing is we do have the sales to back it. And we've been able to give um, that, that specific person, Colleen, uh, I think she started with us at a thousand dollars a month, just straight out of college part-time. And we've, I mean, five extra salary and we, we give her bonuses about every two weeks and, or sorry, every, every month or two, but they're, they're fairly small, but just enough to make sure that show how important she is to the company and that as we grow, she's going to grow with it. Yeah. That is such an important thing you mentioned there is that when you get someone on board, like here you're thinking, Oh, I can't afford an employee, but here you got someone who's fresh out of college wants to get out there, get the work experience. She's smart. She has a lot mm -hmm. to bring to the table and here you're growing together. And what's awesome about that, and that's what I love about startups, by the way. I mean, a lot of people don't like to work with startups. I want to work with a company that's been out there for a while, but I personally like startups because you get to help them grow and then you grow as a person. It's never stagnant because the company's, you know, expanding and growing and then your role doesn't stay the same, which is fascinating and exciting. For sure. You put a lot of trust in, in the founders. I mean, to join a company when it's only two people and for us to say, we're going to show you the world kind of sense you, you don't really know if you're just what you're doing and if you can trust them, but um, definitely kind of just continue working that process and building up that trust is an important part. And then for us, one of the advantages as COVID, I mean, it sounds silly, but we had the sales and all employees were 50% off. It's, we could, everyone was laid off. Everyone was furloughed. Everyone needed work. So we took advantage of that and we were hiring universal publicists and people that were let go from Disney. And we we're just all these people are unemployed who had jobs six months ago and they're still unemployed. We're, we're interviewing for three positions this week. I've done like 20 interviews and mm -hmm. none of these people have jobs and they're all super qualified and they've all been let go due to COVID. So it has nothing to do with bad skills. It's the fact that there's just 
the job market is tough right now and people are unsure. So that I think in every recession, there's an opportunity and that's really been our opportunity. Yes, it was a little bit harder, but we found a way to make it through that. And we've, the, the big opportunity is pulling in really good talent at a more affordable pricing to almost test them out. And then we'll continue to raise their pricing as we can afford to, to hopefully get them back to the salary they're making before or even more um, as we grow with them. You know, that's a, that's a great point. Someone recently said to me that their company also has taken a big hit due to COVID. But like you said, they've now been able to go out there and scout awesome talent. But mm-hmm. at the same time, what they've been doing, as you said, test them out, what they've been doing is freelance. So yep. they're not taking them on as a full-time employee to start with. We're testing you out like, uh, you know, on this project, you're going to handle this project for now. Um, but hey, if you do awesome, then you get to grow and continue to grow with us. So it actually is a win-win for both the employees, kind of not, they don't feel like a win because they lost their <laughs> job. But yeah. What could be great is that now they're getting involved with a new company that they could even maybe grow even much further than before where you're staying stagnant, maybe 10 years, five years, whatever it is. Now there's great opportunities for everyone to grow as we continue to get out of this and and expand. That's exactly what we do. Actually, most of our our employees are contractors and we put them on a 30, 60, 90 day pay raise where it's just built in. So that first month they're not making much, but it's mostly training and honestly us seeing if they can do what they said they can do. So, and a lot of companies do that where they have a 90 day can't like policy and a lot, they'll give you a huge raise after those 90 days. Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty common practice, but I think that a lot of, especially entrepreneurs that haven't worked corporately, they don't, honestly, a lot of these tactics almost feel wrong in a sense. People don't think like marketing tactics and certain things are like, Oh, you can't do that. It's spammy or it's whatever, but mm. that's what all these companies are doing. And all court like B2B they're, they're doing email marketing. They're doing cold calling. Yeah. That's just how, how people, business is built is you got to get the word out there in any means possible as long as you're not breaking any laws or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about the cold calling. Uh, you know, a lot of times today, people are so into their, their phone. It's like, no, I don't want to call people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think sometimes if you go out and do the things that everyone isn't doing, you're going to get a lot more engagement because people aren't expecting the phone calls or maybe even mailing with the phone call. They're getting, oh, my gosh, I got this mail. I never usually get postcards anymore. Something different that makes you stand out. Yeah, mail is definitely coming back. We don't do cold calling currently or direct mail, but it's on our, our plan. We're actually interviewing for a marketing VP. So that's, I have a whole list of exciting opportunities for them. And that's one of the things that we want to do is um, put together a small cold calling team, mm-hmm. put together some direct mail, mm-hmm. uh, simple things that are considered old school, even radio and um, advertising, things like that, that um, are becoming less popular. And what happens is they're cheaper now. So oh, as, yeah. they become, as they become cheaper, everyone's trying to get people to their platform. So they're going to lower their prices, give you a better return. So you can then add more value Then you can spend more with them. So if you think about the, the model of Facebook, mm-hmm. it used to be really cheap to get a lead there. Maybe I'm making up a number, but a couple pennies. Yeah. And now that same lead probably costs you 50 bucks, 60 bucks, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're really good at advertising. And so you just got to follow. So we don't do much advertising on Facebook unless it's retargeting, which is a pretty affordable way, but you got to get your traffic from other locations. Well, here's something I did uh, early on when I was doing advertising for here is I'd use LinkedIn, find people who are mm-hmm. ideal client or um, listener or, or possible advertiser would just reach out to them as a small business, say, hi, I heard you uh, do this sort of work and we want to see if maybe we could help you. And it was interesting. They were like, you found this where? Yeah. I'm like, uh, LinkedIn. I'm like, oh my gosh. But they were just so excited that someone heard of them. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it actually can build some great things. And then, you know, conversations build and maybe you can use their service as a vendor. You, you know, it, you don't know where the relationships could take you. 
I would say 90% of our clients come from Instagram. And what? yeah, and no one prospects from Instagram. And there's not a lot of tools around it. We built our own tool. Uh, and that's part of the advantage is we're, we're hitting people that no one else is hitting. And we're not necessarily going, even though we're B2B, we're not looking for giants. We're just looking for people that can afford our service, honestly. So as long as they have a decent story and we know we can get them published, we don't work with every client. We want to make sure that we can actually do a good job for them. But we're prospecting where people aren't. And I love LinkedIn. But I think a lot of people are using LinkedIn now, LinkedIn sales navigator, things like that. There's a lot of tools around it. Which just means to me is it's becoming a saturated market. People are used to getting hit there. There, there's mm -hmm. not a lot of, especially if you're in sales navigator. There's not a lot of people that haven't been hit a couple of times with probably similar offers or something like that. So you got to find again those one step ahead or even one step behind where people are no longer hitting the the clients. That is a great tip. We could go on for hours, but you've listed so many um, options and things for people to get started on to look at to expand their business or if they're out there looking to maybe start their business. But before we go, I don't want to leave without everyone finding out they can for, find out more about you and your book, The Five Day Startup. How can they do that? Yeah, of course. So you can find my book, The Five Day Startup on Amazon. Um, to contact me, go ahead and go to otterpr.com. It's O-T-T-E-R-P-R.com. Uh, or if you just want to direct message me, you can find me on Instagram at foundscott. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott. I really appreciate you today coming out and sharing your great gifts today on Savvy Business. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You betcha. If you like this episode, please share. To hear more Savvy episodes and Savvy Biz Tips, go to lifeunscriptedradio.com. To become a guest or participate in paid sponsorship, email us at christinalifeunscriptedradio.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.